culture, society. On every street and around every bend lies a world positively overflowing with both. But sometimes we can all use a night in, removed from the endless spiral of chaos and absolute nonsense that waits outside our doors. And for those nights, there's Drizzly, the number one app for alcohol delivery. With Drizzly, you can shop local stores and compare prices on the biggest selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get your favorite drinks delivered to your door in under 60 minutes. All from the comfort of your couch. Because society is great, but it doesn't have your couch. And it's windy out. And you forgot your jacket. And oh my God, would you look at the line at that place? Are you serious? I... (sighs) So download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y dot com today. You're listening to Hashtag No Filter with Zach Peter. That's me, your naturally platinum blonde pop culture connoisseur. I'm the reality TV junkie, self-improvement addict, and host with only the hottest tea spilled fresh weekly. For more hot takes, go and give me a follow at Just Plain Zach. I always keep it funny, and I always keep it cute. And if you're like me and you want to stay up to date with the latest reality tea, go and give us a follow at No Filter with Zach on the Instagram. Or you can always join our private Facebook group. The link is in the description below. If you're watching this on YouTube right now, be sure to smash that like button, hit that subscribe button, and hit that bell notification button to make sure you always get the tea all up in your notifications as soon as it spills. If you have not done so yet, I hope you go and stock up on some of my No Filter Wine at nofilterwine.com. It is a fizzy, housewives-inspired wine, packed a punch at 13% alcohol by volume, but less than a gram of sugar. We have rosé, and we have white available now at nofilterwine.com. Must be 21 or older to order, and be sure to sip responsibly but let's make sure this summer is a very litty city. So head over to nofilterwine.com right now. Okay, we are fresh off the heels of Jen Shaw's guilty plea. We are about to lock her up. She is going to prison, and we're here to talk all about it with somebody that knows a thing or two about white-collar crime. Today's guest is going to help us break down the fraud that is Jen Shaw. He's the director of White Collar Advice. Please welcome Justin Paperni. Love your show. Thank you for the invite. How are you? I'm well, excited to contribute. There hasn't been celebrities in the news since the Varsity Blues case. I mean, real celebrities. So it's a matter of time before it happens. And unfortunately, it looks like Miss Shaw will serve some time on the wrong side of prison boundaries. And I assure you, when she began her career, she never imagined this was going to happen. So happy to talk about it. So, Justin, why don't you give us a bit of your background? Because you you've been in Jen Shaw's position before. You've you or you've been found. You've had to yeah. serve some time for some yeah. white collar crimes. Give us a little background <laughs> about you know what makes you the white collar expert advice giver. Well, I think I'm like a lot of the people who become immersed in the criminal justice system. They never imagined in a million years they would become involved in the system. I grew up in Los Angeles. I was a student athlete at USC. I was a baseball player. After I graduated, began building my career as a stockbroker at Merrill Lynch, Bear Stearns, and then UBS. And then many years into my career, despite having several hundred clients and several hundred million dollars under management, things were going great. 
I began making some bad decisions on behalf of a client. As the judge later said in my sentencing hearing, I turned the other way for money when I learned that he was lying to his investors. As a result of that line and turning the other way, some would call it willful blindness. The judge said, I'm going to make an example out of you. Too many salesmen, he said, turn the other way for commissions. Most don't get caught. You did. And he sentenced me to federal prison for 18 months in February 2008. And it was a stunning, shocking experience. The hardest part I learned was the time, like what Miss, what Jen's going through right now, the waiting, the wondering, how long will it be? How will this impact my, fa- impact my family, my future, my career? This is the hardest part, believe it or not, harder than any day she will serve in prison, because at least when you get to prison, it's clearly defined, beginning and an end. Living in the land of the unknown is brutal. And as the government would tell you, those are the consequences of cheating. You should have thought thought about that before you broke the law. And I learned those lessons the hard way. And while in prison, to sum it up, I became introspective. I began to identify with my victims. Too many defendants, they focus on themselves, how their own life is imploding. This isn't fair. It's hard. I didn't mean to do it. I didn't have bad intentions. And at the end of the day, it's not about us. It's about the victims. In this case, elderly victims that she helped create. Is she identifying with them? Is she creating the plans to make amends? I began to create that plan in federal prison, and that's why it was so transformative for me. And I hope while she's in prison, it's transformative for her as well. She's been very vocal since her arrest that she is very innocent. On the reality show, she says she's innocent. When she did interviews, she said she was innocent. She was responding to people on social media saying, just wait till my day in court comes and I'm going to prove to everybody during my trial that I am innocent. I'm fighting for people that can't afford to fight this themselves. Um, She was selling merchandise that said free Jen Shaw with photos of her coming out of the courthouse, profiting off of that. Um... As new headlines were breaking, she was posting glam photos, you know, posting photos of her doused in her jewelry and in her fur coats. How do you think that proclamation of her innocence and uh, gloating about, you know, her affluence, how do you think that's going to affect her in her sentencing? It's a problem. Uh, It's a problem. Uh, Something that factors at a sentencing hearing is post-defense conduct. In other words, once you're in trouble... What do you do? Do you begin to make amends and accept responsibility? Or do you double and triple down, blame others, claim that you're a victim, you're being exploited because of your wealth and celebrity? And what happens when people do that is they make taxpayers our hard-earned tax dollar. It makes the government spend more of our resources to investigate, preparing for trial, motions, discovery. So you can bet whatever money you have that the government in their sentencing position will argue that she delayed in accepting responsibility. They will most likely argue she only pled guilty because she knew that she was guilty, but the odds of prevailing a trial were so incredibly low. And they're going to say what a lot of people say. She only pled guilty because she got caught. So she has work to do. So I'm fascinated that she's going to continue to be on TV, apparently filming. So she's got to like decide what road she wants to go down. Does she want to have a message in front of the judge on the show, I accept full responsibility. I was wrong. I was delusional. I was in denial. I listened to my lawyers and gave them every last penny that I had. It took me some time to fully understand how my actions hurt others. That should be the right messaging because it's okay if it took some time for her to get there. It take it took. I didn't really get it till I went to prison. But that's a message she's got to begin to articulate. If not, she's going to get punished at a sentencing hearing by a judge that said, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, you're sorry because you got caught." And worse. I never hear you talk about the victims. This is all 
all about the victims. This is not about her and how her own life is imploding. So she has got to try to undo some of the really bad decisions she has been making for an extended period of time. It can be done. The, 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 the best day to start doing that is like right now. She's got to get she's got to get rocking. <laughs> And what does that even look like? We have until the end of November, which is when her sentencing is. What can she do between now and then? I mean, is there any way to even convince that she was essentially mocking the feds by selling free Jen Shamer? Like, it wasn't like a fan was selling it for her. She was personally, you know, profiting off of that. The only way it's going to happen is by her doing the work. See, a lot of wealthy or high-profile defendants, they outsource all of the work to their lawyer. So their lawyer is going to say, she's sorry, she didn't mean to do it. In retrospect, she would have done things differently. But our team has interviewed federal judges, and they tell us the order of mitigation follows. And when I say mitigation, the way to work to get a shorter sentence. Number one, the defendant has to do the work. Number two, it's the lawyer. Number three, it's friends and family writing letters and whatnot. Many defendants get the order wrong. They, they outsource all of it to the lawyer. So if her, she's going to get on a path to reconcile, she's got to recognize she's going to have to change her message and get out in front of people and say, I made bad decisions without considering how it influenced others. And it took me far too long to accept responsibility. And I understand these are simply words. I need to follow it up with measurable actions for the weeks, months, years, and decades to come. I know some people will never forgive me. Some people will think I'm only saying this to get a shorter sentence. And I just ask that you give me an opportunity to prove worthy of a second chance, but it won't be with my words, but with my actions. And I encourage you to hold me accountable. Like what if she went on TV and said that, and then began to create a plan that showed that statement was not a platitude or a cliche or happy talk, but it was real. That's the step. That's the plan for her to get back on track. And in so doing, she would also get a shorter prison sentence if she could begin to create that record, though I suspect she's going to outsource the lion's share of that work to her lawyers. Why is it taking so long for us to have a sentencing for her? Because people are saying, like, being that the trial was scheduled to happen and it didn't happen, shouldn't there be, you know, a better opportunity for the judge to be able to at least sentence her sooner than the end of November? So there's a process after you plead guilty. So the government was preparing for trial. Now that she has signed a plea agreement, she actually has to go in front of a judge and plead guilty. At the, at the guilty plea, the judge is going to establish a sentencing date. Could be three to four months out in her case. Now, I don't know if her co-defendant, her former assistant who pled guilty, is cooperating against her. If that's the case, she would get sentenced first he would get sentenced after because you don't want to get sentenced until you get the full extent of your cooperation. That's why in the Varsity Blues case, the mastermind Rick Singer, remember the coach, he hasn't even been sentenced yet. And all these parents have already gone to prison. They're all home. He hasn't even been sentenced. So she'll plead guilty. She will get a sentencing date of most likely three to four months out into the future. And during that time is when the mitigation really continues. She will sit for what will be the most important interview of her life. The, the most important interview at one point, she, she thought might have been getting on this reality show. <laughs> no, no more. That, that's bye-bye now. The most important interview is this probation interview with a federal probation officer who is going to ask her a series of questions about her remorse, her background, her financials, her plans moving forward. Does she identify with victims? This probation officer is going to write a report that will have a significant influence at her sentencing but also in her time in prison, early release, bunk, job, the prison that she goes to, everything is in this probation report. So after she sits for that probation report, it will come back. Her lawyers will review it, try to correct any mistakes or flaws. 
Then they'll inch towards sentencing. And during this time, she'll get character reference letters. If her lawyers are advising her, she will write a very compelling letter to the judge and the probation officer. Could be eight pages, could be 10 pages. We have clients that write books. She's got to take the initiative to influence these people. Then there's going to be a sentencing hearing. The government will make a recommendation on how long she should serve in prison based in part on the guidelines. Her lawyers are going to make a recommendation on how long she should serve in prison. I bet they ask for probation or home confinement. <laughs> you know that they do that too frequently. And the judge is, makes the, the final decision. I suspect based on the guidelines, she'll get sentenced to prison. Her lawyers will ask that she self-surrender. So she doesn't get taken out of there in shackles and chains and go through Con Air, like the movie Con Air with Nicolas Cage. Yeah. And so the earliest I suspect she will be in prison, given the timeline, is probably not till February or March of next year. And that's if everything goes without any delays. Okay. And so right now we're looking at a sentencing hearing of November 29th. So everything that you just explained is what's going to happen between now and November 29th. That's the process. She has to do this interview. The judge has to review everything. I assume being that Stuart Smith was going to be cooperating against her, and that was part of his his plea deal, I assume he's still going to be worked into it somehow to determine what her active role in it was, correct? Without question. So he's going to get the, the golden, the, the lottery ticket in the federal system, which is called a 5K1 letter. If he cooperated, that letter articulates how extensively this co-defendant cooperated to help lead to her conviction. So a lot of people in prison to use prison parlance would say he's a snitch and this and that. The government views it differently. The government views cooperators as helping merit out justice, helping hold people accountable. And it saves taxpayers a lot of money because it compelled her in part to plead guilty. He will not be sentenced until she has been sentenced. It could be the same day I suspect he'll be sentenced after her and he will get a measurably shorter sentence, both because of his cooperation and his culpability with much less. Uh, but he he was happy the day that she pled guilty because he knew that was a quicker path yeah. to getting a much shorter sentence on his case. So do you think she was she should have just flipped sooner? And she I mean, she could have easily just cooperated against him and let him be the one to go down for it if her ego didn't kind of blind her from trying to maintain her innocence. You're right about that. Usually those who are the orchestrators of the fraud, like my co-defendant was the orchestrator. So the FBI interviewed him first. He was the leader. And he said, I want to cooperate. I did. And he cooperated against me. Don't begrudge him that. He had four kids and a wife. Fine. I didn't have that opportunity. I squandered it. So yes, when they visited with her, she would have had, I believe, that opportunity to say, let me tell you, let me come clean. Let me tell you everything I did, why I did it, what I've learned. I'm sorry. I was living a lifestyle above my means. I was selling services that didn't exist. I want to make amends. And in so doing, she could have then begun to cooperate against the minions or subordinates. Instead, her assistant did the right thing. He's now going to get that, that credit. So look, we work with great lawyers at White Collar Advice. We're grateful to work with great lawyers every now and again. However, we can be critical of lawyers if, for example, they're telling her you can win. You're going to win a trial, even though like nobody wins a trial. Yeah. And 98.3% of people plead guilty. So what if a lawyer said, and I'm, I don't know the lawyers here, they said, well, you're going to win. She's like, okay, I believe you. I don't want to go to prison. I don't want to be a convicted felon. Like I want to win. Great. They say, fine, it's going to be $2 million. So she begins to spend millions of dollars going through this process. So she may very well have believed that she was going to win based on what lawyers are telling her. She may believe she didn't have bad intentions. She may believe that victims weren't truly created. People should have known what they were doing. And then at times when defendants begin to run out of money <laughs> and they see the very high conviction rates, 
And at times after lawyers have been paid a million or two million bucks, they may say, it may be time to cut a deal here. And that is not uncommon. And the unfortunate part is it's something she could have done much sooner. And the healing for all, primarily her victims, could have begun much sooner. And you can absolutely expect the elderly victims who are abused here to write letters to the judge. And many actually may speak at her sentencing hearing or create videos that the judge will watch. And it's very devastating and heart-wrenching if, in fact, people are, are really destitute because of her. Well, she had her mother give up a million dollars of her retirement fund in order to help her fight this. Yeah. That, so I mean, you're, you're answering my you're answering my question. Imagine had she done this more quickly. Yeah. One, that million dollars remains for her mom. She gets a shorter prison sentence because she accepts responsibility sooner. Or better yet, what if the mom gave a million dollars not to defend her? But to the victim, she helped defraud. This is why, in yeah. retrospect, she's going to look at so many decisions she may she has made, and she'll say, "I wish I, I wish I'd have found the YouTube channel White Collar Advice much more quickly <laughs> much more and began quick. making better better decisions." Well, you I know mean, that's unfortunate. She was even asked in an inter- uh, on the reality show in an interview about the uh, the conviction rate, and she said, "Well, the re- the only reason the conviction rate is so high is because most people would rather plead out than fight it in court." And she said, "I'm going to fight it in court for all the people that can't afford to fight it in court." So she acknowledged how you know strong the conviction rate is, and she said it wasn't necessarily because these people were guilty, but because they would rather plead out despite their innocence. I can assure you that clients of ours at White Collar, we're not defense attorneys, but we work lawyers. I can assure you, we probably had 60 clients over the last four, 13 or 14 years go to trial. Not one of them has won, and we don't accept responsibility. We're not the trial. We're not the trial lawyer. But I can assure you of those 60 clients, some of them were not guilty. I can guarantee you that. The problem is when you see United States of America versus your name, mm-hmm. it's very hard for a jury to see you objectively. And in many cases, people are guilty. And also in many cases, people that are convicted at trial who thought they were innocent go through prison. They'll come home and many clients have called and they'll say, you know, in retrospect, I made a de- I made the wrong decision. I should have gone to trial. I can see how my decisions were criminal. At the time, I didn't see it. I was just too into it every day. I couldn't see it objectively. So- she will. The goal for her is that she goes through this mitigation arc, you know, indictment to pleading guilty, prison, and coming home. The goal is that she begins to make better decisions. And the only way she can do that is if she begins to somehow identify with Vicks. For example, if she's still going to be on this show because it's going to lead to ratings, great. What she should do is what I did before sentencing pledge income to the victims before sentencing. But if she's going to try to maintain her current lifestyle and do what a lot of defendants do, which is kind of have your cake and eat it too. I'm sorry, but not really. I pled guilty only because it's so hard to win a trial. I didn't have bad intentions, but yes, I identify with victims. You have to make a choice in life. And her choice needs to be all in. And she needs to somehow step back, show some contrition and humility, but begin to set money aside for these victims. Because in that probation report, she's got to disclose every penny every dollar, every asset, what she owes, what she's made, her living expenses. And if they see a living, if they see Teslas and Mercedes and mansions and tens of thousands of dollars a month for assistance and whatnot, and they don't see a scaling back of a lifestyle and setting aside money for, for victims, she's going to get punished at that sentencing hearing. That I mean, much I can tell Social you. media was beating her up for uh, taking a, a brand new Gucci bag to court when she landed in New York. Um, what like do you think that there is any sort of like 
maybe she was innocent or do you think it was just pure ego and delusion that blinded her from thinking she would get away with this? Because the biggest question is like, why go on a reality show if you have something to hide? You know, if you know that you're committing this telemarketing scheme and when you look at the case against her, I mean, the fact that she, you know, was being investigated by the FTC, the fact that she started moving her communication over to an encrypted messaging app, like so many, you know, the fact that she had so many seemingly shell companies that, you know, that's why there was the conspiracy to commit money laundering charge you know she was uh, she had an offshore account over in southeast europe like you know there were all these things that don't look good but yet she really did seem to believe that she was innocent so what compels a lot of people to uh, who get into bad decisions they rationalize that hey this is a legitimate business we're trying to do good things i've done this for more than than 20 years. I'm sure there was some language inside of her documents that lawyers created that said, there's no guarantee that you're going to make money. There's risk associated with that. I'm sure that that was in there somewhere. So because of that, it gave her a level of comfort. And she probably told herself, hey, I'm running the organization. I'm the face. I'm not there day to day. And I'm not responsible for exactly what these salespeople are telling people and taking their money. So it's all of these rationalizations that convince people to think, you know, things are fine. There is risk in business, but, um, I'm protected here and we have good intentions. That is very that is very common. I've read where she says we've been doing this for, for more than 20 years. I'm sure at some point she did it legally with good intentions, but it's lack of oversight of getting lazy, having perhaps too many projects going on at once where her finger, finger really isn't on the pulse, isn't really putting measures, compliance measures in place with what her team, with what her team is doing. And essentially it's just uh, just turning the other way for a long time. And then you become comfortable to the bad conduct. You just become numb numb to it and you convince yourself you're doing more good than bad. It's really not that bad. And of course, government regulators see it you know, much, much differently Different. when victims begin to complain and you know, elderly people are defrauded. And that will be the toughest thing for her. That's going to be the toughest thing for her to go against, right? There are people who defrauded banks. And I'm not saying it's okay to defraud a bank, but defrauding JP Morgan or Goldman Sachs of a million or $2 million, which is a, a rounding error for them. It's about 10 minutes worth of profit. <laughs> it's measurably different than defrauding people whose lifestyles are crushed yeah. because of it and who have lost their, their dignity and their faith in humanity because of it. And for those victims to see her selling t-shirts and wearing fancy items to court, it kind of throws it right in their face. And it just makes the pain even that much more acute and tough to deal with. And that's part of the reason I suspect um, once you sentencing hearings in federal court aren't live, but you'll be able to get, you can get the transcripts and hear what what she says and the victims, you're going to hear her post-defense conduct and not identifying with the victims come up a great deal. I mean, we even have her friend and co-star Heather Gay who went on and did an interview herself where she admitted to saying that she knew that the business was unsavory, but she didn't necessarily know that the business was illegal. I mean, the fact that somebody close to her that isn't directly in the business but can go on public television and say that they knew the business was unsavory, I feel like that also is like you kind of have to know that what you're doing isn't whether you think it's illegal or not, like there's the moral aspect of it, you know, when you're taking advantage of elderly people. Now, obviously, we know there, you know, there's actual guilt behind it. Um, and she's acknowledging that. You said that one of the things that she can do between now and her sentencing is pledge money to the victims. What is the difference between pledging that money and paying her restitution? 
that's like, what's the difference between saying you're going to exercise this morning and actually doing it? <laughs> so, so like every defendant tells a judge if there's restitution, I'm going to pay back the money. Judges are like, yeah, 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 of course you are. Of course you're going to tell me that. Mm-hmm. It's measurably different if she actually says to her lawyer or the government, I'm ready to send you money today. And I'm going to pledge 50, 50% of what I make, I'm going to send to you. So my sentencing hearing, for example, that was a game changer. All of our victims were paid back in full. Doesn't replace the pain they went through and may still go through. I want to be clear about that. But at least they got their money back. Well, that, that's a big deal because so few people do. So what I would encourage her to do is to scale back her lifestyle as a consequence of a white collar crime conviction, unless you're really rich, like so many of the parents in the Varsity Blues case where it just didn't matter. But if, if you can, you got to scale back the lifestyle because on that probation report, I mentioned every expense they get, utility bills, gas, food, housing, rent, car insurance, car payments, country clubs, clothes, jewelry, every penny has to be disclosed under penalty of perjury. So she should begin to scale back and she should begin to set aside money in a pot, whether it's in her lawyer's trust fund or actually with the, what's called the financial litigation unit of the Department of Justice, where that money is sitting there. So at a sentencing hearing, she can say, Your Honor, I am committed to paying back victims. It may take a very long time, but I've begun to make a dent. There is a hundred thousand, a million dollars, two million dollars sitting in here. And what does that do? Her argument, her lawyers can then make an argument that if she gets a shorter prison term, she can continue to work and pay back all of that money, which of course is in the interest of her victims as well. Now, the judge isn't going to keep someone out of prison simply because they could pay all the money back if she even could, because that speaks to an unfair justice. If you're rich and you can pay it all back, you don't get prison. If you're poor and you can't, you're going to get prison. So sentencing guidelines are guidelines for a reason to ensure people are sentenced kind of fairly, okay? But still, making a significant payment will influence a sentencing judge and because it begins to put the victims first. I would, I would encourage her, if she were my client, I'd say scale back immediately, begin to put some money aside, sell your home, pledge all the resources, make it happen if the goal is truly the shortest sentence. And you know, but a lot of people, that's tough for them. It's tough for them. You get addicted to items. You get addicted to certain things. There's an image that she has to try to maintain, perhaps. She's got to decide what's of higher value, the image and material things or getting a shorter prison term. What do you think she'll end up serving realistically right now? I think that the estimates that we have are 11 to 14 years in prison, 9.5 million in restitution and 6 million in forfeiture of assets that have already been seized. Yeah, that's a big deal, at least getting that forfeiture, because it goes to show a good portion of the restitution is going to be paid back to the victims. But it wouldn't surprise me if she got six or seven years in prison. Uh, There are some things going in her favor. She did accept responsibility. She could have done it sooner. She did legitimately run this business for a while. It wasn't a two-decade-old fraud. I don't think the government alleges that it did. So there was some time where the business was run legitimately. She is paying the money back. This, she, this is a first-time offense. I'm sure she's done some things in her community, whether it's contributions or community service work. So there are things that she has done in her life that are that are worth discussing. So for that reason, I don't suspect she'll get more than 10 years in prison, but it wouldn't, based on the loss and compared to what other people get in these types of fraud cases and considering the victim six or seven years. Now, if this was like taxpayer money, like a tax fraud or something like that, it could be two or three years. The victims here have to stand out. And um, that's why I think she'll get a very long prison sentence.
And it's a special category of crime, right? Because it's it's uh, victims that are 55 and over, which the government considers as elderly. Correct. Without boring your audience to all of the numbers in the sentencing guidelines, the guideline, there are points to these numbers. So like a fraud charge could be plus 14 points. Elderly victims can be plus 10 points. So if you get on this very high end of the range on the sentencing guidelines, like 45 points or something like that, that's why the range could be 10 to 12 years. So the elderly victims, these enhancements really make it worse, right? And if the probation officer isn't convinced that she's remorseful, or if she feels like she's hiding some assets and not doing all she can, the probation officer can recommend a longer sentence and even additional enhancements if she feels she obstructed the investigation or things of that nature. So and that happens to people. So it's essential that she make better decisions. And if she were to watch this whole video and take one thing away from it, it's only she can do that work. Yeah. She's the one that must demonstrate what she's learned, why she'll never return to another courtroom how she identifies with the victims and what she's going to do with the rest of her life. You can't outsource that work. She's got to begin to create that plan. And if she's going to be on TV, that should be the focus of it. But again, I don't know what, I don't know what her values are. The interesting thing though, is we are going to see the new season start to air. I believe at the end of August, early September, which is just ahead of her, her sentencing date. So what we're going to see is what was filmed months prior where she's, pleading her innocence and she's yes. maintaining that she is not guilty. So all of that's going to be airing while we're approaching her sentencing day and during sentencing. How do you think the show and the footage is going to affect that? Her lawyers will clearly point out that all of that footage was filmed prior to her pleading guilty. And since pleading guilty, her message has changed. If they're continuing to film in her post plea, that messaging should be fundamentally different. I presume her lawyers are going to say to her, if and when you talk about this on air, because the judge will watch it, they can get the footage. I'm sure they could subpoena it from this TV show and get it. They want to make sure that her comments is consistent with the plea agreement that she signed. Too many defendants, as I said earlier, want their cake and eat it too. They say, I'm sorry, but, but they're not. So if she were to say something on film, like I had to do this, I was running out of money, the government was out to get me because to make an example out of me, you know, I'm a woman entrepreneur. I mean, I've heard, okay, all of them, yeah. they're going to destroy her and they're going to play that as sentencing hearing and say, your honor, she's duplicitous. She's, she's a liar. She's not remorseful. She's yeah. not apologetic. Just we have the evidence here. So I assure you, if her lawyers have a brain, they have said to her, if you're going to continue to film, what is that messaging? They should role play with her. Pretend that you're on film right now. And one of your co-stars says, you lied to us. You told us that you were innocent. You're selling. The we defended you in front of our friends and family and our million. You embarrassed us. Why did you lie to us? How is she going to respond? Yeah, that's 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 reality TV worth watching. Yeah. So, I mean, do you think that it is wise for her to continue to film? Because we do know she's currently or. It's, said, it's been reported that she is still currently actively filming, I believe, for the next season um, because they wrapped the third season right before she ended up pleading guilty. Um, and so then they immediately began production on season four right away. Do you think that that's a wise decision? Because at least well, that, now she can craft that narrative. So two thoughts. You just said it. That was beautifully said. If she crafts the right narrative, if pressed by a co-star on the show and she says, I was delusional. Initially, I believed my lawyers. I was in denial. I was blaming other people. And I was so scared about the reality of going to prison 
that I was making really bad decisions, that I didn't invest the time to understand how my actions hurt people. And I wish I'd done it sooner. And I'm sorry that I didn't accept responsibility sooner. And I'm sorry that I lied to you, but I was also lying to myself. I'm going to do better moving forward. That's a message that people potentially could, could get on. The TV show is going to love it because they're going to follow her all the way to her surrender to prison. Okay. This is going to be a whole shtick for them. Okay. Yeah. They're going to be following her to the prison, the surrender the day before the filming. What's it like? They'll reach out potentially to someone like me. What can she expect in federal? It's going to be a whole mm-hmm. show. The ratings are going to be, they're going to be great. And then uh, there is, you know, they'll follow her while she's in prison because there's email and she can make phone calls. So it's going to be a rating bonanza for them potentially as they follow her going all the way to the minimum security camp, whatever camp that might be. Now there's a lot, I mean, trust me, we're going to be watching with popcorn. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're all going to be watching this. I mean, cause here's the reality. It's the reason true crime is a, is a popular genre on Netflix. It's the same way that the local and, and national news exploits types of cases yeah. like this. It is what it is. We are, we love to watch a train wreck and we're not going to tune away from it. No matter how morally corrupt we think these people are, or aren't. And we also love redemption. We yeah. like people we like a comeback yeah. story. Yeah, America, you, you look at Martha Stewart. Now, she yeah. was filthy rich before and after, but she's poked fun at her conviction. I yeah. mean, I saw stuff on her and like Snoop Dogg. Yeah. They did a roast on her. Uh, you know, she, now, Grant, her crime was different. Lying is much different than creating elderly victims. So you can't poke fun at life in a country club when you're serving three months. Different experience. The point is, you can absolutely overcome very long prison terms. My business partner served 26 years in prison. I met him in prison. It's possible, but not with, um, you know, blaming others and happy talk. It's really going to require a plan and proving worthy of the love and support because this will also be very difficult for her family. It's going to be very difficult for, yeah. for the family who are, who are unintended victims of this. And I just hope she remembers that when she films and when she's working on her messaging to a probation officer. Now, there are a lot of comparisons with her and another particularly polarizing housewife on Bravo um, whose husband is at the center of a big embezzlement scandal, Tom Girardi. Um, he had a he, he ran a law firm, Girardi Keys. They were embezzling client funds. She has been pulled into public scrutiny because they believe that because she was married to him and he was taking advantage of these victims that he was supposedly fighting for in court and then he was embezzling those funds that she has some sort of culpability because her lavish lifestyle was benefited from the crimes that he was committing. Now, that same sort of judgment isn't necessarily happening with Jen Shaw and her husband, even though Jen Shaw has actually gone to court, pled guilty. Do you think that her husband will have to contribute to any sort of that restitution? Does he have any possible culpability? He does have a law background, so he may be a little more privy to some of the practices that she was, you know, incorporating in her businesses. So I will tell you, it is not uncommon for both men and women to not know about the fraud their spouses were committing. They presume they're doing a good thing. They're making money. They're helping people. It's law abiding. That wouldn't surprise me if his if his wife is actually telling telling the, the truth. There's no question about that. She's 30 years younger than him. And yeah, like, it wouldn't it surprise is- me if she believed she she when she says I was a victim of this as well. You know, some people, well, you should have known. You should have asked questions. 
Many don't. Coming back to, and some would say, I kind of turned the other way from it. I should have asked more questions in retrospect. But oftentimes people will say, it's not your business. This is what I do. You stay in your lane. I'll stay in mine. Let's keep the lifestyle going. Fine. And you presume people are doing it the right way. To her husband, what happens is, I don't know if they have a prenup or if he has separate assets. In that probation report, they will ask for joint assets. So they're going to want to know what he has. Any joint accounts, they're going to have to disclose and, and put in front of the court. Some defendants try to claim, well, I don't have any money, so I can't pay any court-ordered restitution. My husband or spouse wasn't a part of this. Therefore, you can't take his money. He didn't do anything wrong. And the court will say, okay, you may not have any money, but you benefit from your spouse's income where you live, health insurance. So we're going to use the total income to help justify a more uh, help justify a restitution payment. Okay, so that that very well could happen here, but you can expect the government to know about his assets as well and use that when factoring in what sort of restitution payments she'll make. In prison, you make very small restitution payments because you only make like $20 or $30 a month in prison at 15 cents an hour. So she may pay $25 or $50 a quarter. But when you come home, a probation officer, and she'll be on probation for at least three years, if the money isn't paid back, the probation officer will establish a monthly restitution payment could be $500 a month, 10% of income. It really depends on what she's making. And they'll factor in her husband's income uh, into that payment. And it's unlikely that he'll face any criminal charges. By now, based on my experience, if they were going to get him, they, they would have and they'd have done it all together. Yeah. So it's mostly just whatever collective money the household brings in that'll likely have to go back to paying restitution. Obviously, the forfeiture of their assets was also, you know, equally his as well. Um, It's interesting. It's it's interesting to see the double standard between the two cases and how it's easier to kind of blame the, the pretty blonde 30 year younger housewife. And, you know, then you have a couple like, you know, Jen Shaw and, and Sharif that are you know, in a, a similar but different position and how there's a different reaction that people seem to have. I'd agree with that. What do you think happens with Jen Shah? We said what? You said six to seven, six-ish years? I think she's going through this, this process that many defendants go through, which is wanting to somehow maintain her innocence, yet at the same time thinking, what can I do to get the shortest prison term? And that's very tough to reconcile if she doesn't think she did it. Right. If she was, if she feels like she was cajoled or forced to plead guilty. For many, like me, I broke the law. I turned the other way for money. So it's very easy to plead guilty. And it was very easy to go to prison because I did it. For people that think they're wrongly convicted or accused, it can be very difficult to reconcile and they view themselves as the victim. If she can somehow get the messaging and order this will not amount to a life sentence. And what I mean is many people get their sentence, 18 months, five years, six years, three years, but like five, 10, 20, 30 years from now, they're still talking about the time they served in a minimum security camp. So I would remind her and encourage her to find some perspective. People have endured worse in life. This can still turn out to be a little blip in her life or it can be a life sentence. The choice is hers, but it is time to correct. It is time to begin making better decisions and also understand avenues that could get her out of prison more quickly. You know, for example, on a, a 60 month sentence, she could be out of there in 18 months or 24 months. I don't know if she has a history of drinking or substance abuse, but if that's disclosed honestly, that could take a full year off of her sentence. It's a big deal. Yeah. Prison reform passed in late 2018. That could take another year off of her sentence. So, you may hear six or seven years and think, oh my goodness, they're going to bury her under this prison with good planning for the probation report, good planning at sentencing and good planning in prison, avoiding problems like iPhones and drugs and 
all the things that go on in these minimum security camps. It's the wild, wild west in there. If she could avoid problems, even on a five or six year sentence, she could be out of there in 24 months or 30 months. I mean, that's a little blip in our life. I mean, that's nothing relative to what some people in, in society endure for decades, right? I mean, come on, man. That's what I would remind her. That's what I would encourage her to focus on. And I, I, again, it all comes down to messaging. And listen, she has a perfect opportunity to craft a message because she has a reality show and a camera and a network that's behind her and paying her money to be able to pay back and pledge money to these victims that she took advantage of. Imagine so few defendants have this opportunity. So many defendants feel unheard. They feel forgotten. They don't have the resources to create the right messaging, a video to get in front of the judge, to hire the best in the lawyers. Think about the, the privilege and opportunity that she has that most defendants can only dream of. Right. If she were to squander that and waste this opportunity, it would be hard to it would be hard to have empathy for her because she has a golden opportunity and one she's got to seize. And um, you know, for the sake of her victims and her family, I pray she seizes the opportunity or she can continue to go down a really bad path. We'll have to wait and see. I mean, I'm counting down the days to that sentencing and to whatever we get from this fourth season that they're currently starting to film. I mean, I'm pretty sure her co-stars have some very strong opinions. Two of them were with her up until just a couple of days before she pled guilty. And they were proclaiming her innocence on their social media accounts saying, you know, everyone's due their day in court. Everyone's yep. innocent. And I like that guilty. messaging. I yeah. actually, even though this is your show, I have a question for you. Yeah. Were you a big fan of hers on the show and when you learned of the indictment and she said i didn't do it were were you a believer or were you somewhat dubious walk me through your feelings um i wouldn't say that i was a big fan of hers only because the show was still so new that when she was arrested they'd only had one season so she was still new to everybody that i didn't necessarily feel any particular way towards her she definitely had more of like a villain role on the show she was very feisty she was very much involved in the drama um wasn't very nice to her other co- uh, co-stars so i mean in terms of like entertainment value she brought a lot to the show um so when the arrest came and at that point i had already started to kind of dig into a lot of these um reality tv legal cases you know the girardi case the chris lee case you know amber heard and johnny depp any sort of celebrity pop culture legalities i loved learning about in the past two years you know once the world shuts down in your home you have nothing to do but google (laughs) learn about these things and read court documents um so immediately I started looking into it and I was like, this looks really bad. It's the feds. She was arrested. So I didn't think, I really did not think that there was, I mean, maybe there was a, a slight fraction in my mind over the uh, the last like year, year and a half where I was like, maybe the, what I think may have possibly happened was she really didn't come from much as has been part of her story. She wanted to provide a better life for her family. She wanted to take care of her mother and her relatives and provide a a better lifestyle for her children. So she had strong ambitions and she shot for the moon. And then eventually once she got to the moon, she got a little greedy and just continued to push it. I do think that she is guilty. I've 
felt very confidently about that. Just now hearing all the details of the case, I just I don't think the feds mess around it. I don't think, you know, she was one of those people that was just being an example just because she's a celebrity as much as she liked to throw down, you know, certain cards of saying, you know, they're they're doing this because I'm on television. They're doing this because I'm a woman of color. They're doing this because, you know, all of the accusations that she tried to put on the table. I just I I don't think I think they were her attempts to try and sway people to think that she was innocent. And she's clearly not. She's not. And I think the last thing I'll say is an unfortunate consequence of white color crime or any crime at times is the, the pleasure that people may take in in her pain. It's this I think the German the schadenfreude is the word, you know, pleasure in the pain of others. And you're going to she's going to have to get used to that and recognize that. Um, it will exist for for the rest of her life. And her goal isn't to try to win everybody back. That's impossible. She never could have done that to begin with, even if she was acquitted. But it's really focusing on her network and proving worthy of that love and support. Uh, but it's um, it's humbling. And it's she's got to avoid watching the comments and trying to respond to everyone. That's not possible. But that's we, we love stardom in this country. We love the rise and we equally, equally love the fall. Yes, we do. But we also love a comeback story. As long as we people, love it. We she love has a chance. I, she's got a chance. We all have it. If I can do it, if my partner, Michael Santos, could do it through 26 consecutive years in prison with her resources and work ethic and skill set and discipline and fans, if we could do it, she could do it. But she's got to want it. And no one can work harder than she can. Yeah. No one's going to no one. She's got to be the, the one to do all the work. I agree. Justin, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Let everybody know where they can go to learn more about your white collar advice and support you. Really grateful for that. So on TikTok at white collar advice, I do kind of funnier prison videos and things like that. So white collar advice, TikTok, white collar advice, YouTube, more sentencing and mitigation, interviewing clients, what we've learned, you know, from judges. So slightly different messaging. If anyone would like a book, don't buy it. I have always given away my books at whitecolloradvice.com. You can get a copy. Be at lessons from prison for free. Again, do not buy it. It's free. So white collar advice, TikTok and white collar advice, YouTube. I have a lot of fun. Well, there you go. Thank you so much, Justin, for coming on. You've got lots of good white collar advice. So if anybody <laughs> wants to come in any white collar crimes, no, please don't do that. Uh, I, hope but, none of, I hope none of your viewers ever have to hire me. <laughs> I hope so, too. <laughs> Let's hope I never have to hire you. No, I'm not yeah. gonna. I'm I'm pretty I'm pretty set on on reality good. TV um, news. I'm pretty good at just commentating. Uh, yeah, commenting than than committing any any real yes. crimes. Good. But thank you, Justin, for thank coming you. on the podcast. I really appreciate it, guys. Go and give him some support. Follow White Collar Crime on TikTok. You know we love me some some TikTok. So go and give him a follow <laughs> over there. You're on Instagram too, right? Instagram too. I think that's under my name, Justin Papernia. I'm more TikTok, white collar advice, and YouTube white collar. You should do the TikToks as Instagram Reels. I'm starting to do more of those, and that's been helpful. I'm I'm 47 now. I got to get it together and get up to date with all of this. But you're right. Yes. Thank you guys for listening to hashtag No Filter with Zach Peter. You can give me a follow at Just Plain Zach or follow the show at No Filter with Zach. Head over to NoFilterWine.com to stock up, and I will probably find some fun new guests to answer more of our burning questions about these bravo reality stars all right guys talk to you next or actually i'll talk to you this thursday love you mean it bye